Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. This is the Secrets of Fail series where we're talking to CEOs all about their business blunders. You know, the stuff they don't want in their LinkedIn timelines. <laughs> so with me on the line in the hot seat uh, from uh, Denver, funnily enough, where I'm based, uh, is none other than uh, Sandy Seafried, the CEO of an incredible company called Safe Harbor Financial, which we're going to get into in a moment. Sandy, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. So why don't you hit us up with the elevator pitch? What are you guys up to there at uh, Safe Harbor? So Safe Harbor was actually established in 2015, and we were established to meet the needs of the cannabis industry that couldn't get access to banking. So we opened our doors and started banking them, learning them, and we've grown the business to a profitable business positive cash flow, and actually launched the business outside of the credit union, which it was born into its own public company. Mm -hmm. And you guys have recently done uh, an, a, a listing, right? Yes, we listed on the NASDAQ in late September. Okay, beautiful. So how is the cannabis industry these days? Seems to me like it's uh, it's growing. If I go, <laughs> I went to New York to do a client shoot and all I smelt was weed everywhere. Um, and <laughs> and obviously, as we know, it's, it's decriminalized and the proliferation of, you know, THC, CBD, CBG related products is immense. Um, so you guys are well positioned to take advantage of this, right? We really are because they have such a difficult time getting access to uh, financial services you know, across the country and financial institutions don't want to bank them because of one, there's such a black market that exists and it's really difficult to sort out some of the good actors from the bad actors. And two, you know, it's, it's, it's a complex business. Cannabis is just complex the way that there's regulations in every state that differ from the other state and understanding how they set up their businesses to protect their assets, that type of thing. So the market with, you know, there's 13 states that are considering legalization. So since COVID, COVID, things have just really gone so fast that there is a, a dire need for banking access. Mm. It seems to me also like I think this whole trend around decriminalization of a lot of things like top of mind right now for me is uh, in Florida, I think it is, where psilocybin, you know, in, imminently you'll be able to, you know, fill up your car with gas, but then also, you know, get a pack of <laughs> psilocybin capsules. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, you know, a lot of um, talk these days around the use of psychedelics for mental health, like post-traumatic stress syndrome and things like that. And it seems to me like there's becoming a wider acceptance uh, of these things for medicinal purposes. I would have to agree. I see the psilocybin moving so much faster than cannabis did. And they're riding on the success, I think, of cannabis. But they, too, being a Schedule One drug, are going to have difficulty getting financial services. While we're prepared to handle the psilocybin businesses, the, the banking institutions are not necessarily willing mm. because they're just getting used to cannabis. Yeah, it's weird, hey? And and is it because of the stigma around it? Is it because we listed, you know, Bank of America has these massive amounts of shareholders and things like that? We just wouldn't touch it because it would affect our share price. Is that typically the motivation here? No, it's because it's a Schedule One drug. And if any banker puts money into the financial system of a Schedule One drug, it's considering money laundering. And they are subject to prosecution because of that. So nobody's ever been prosecuted at this point. And we've been doing it now in our ninth year and we haven't been prosecuted, but it's a risk. And when you have a large financial institution, are you willing to take that risk for one small part of your portfolio? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's funny. Cool. Well, let's uh, get on to the meat and the potatoes <clears throat> of uh, this series. Uh, so, Cindy, what is your story of fail for our audience around the world today? Well, besides having a lot of hiring failures in my last 38 years, I'll, um, I, I picked this one where we were real excited about going to market with our IP and our program back in 2017. We created a subsidiary off the credit union to manage this, and we selected a vendor or trusted one of our employees at the time with a vendor a selection to actually program and automate our IP. That trust, without a lot of due diligence on my part, ended up being at the end of the year that they got all of our IP, they programmed it all, and they turned around and, 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 and a lawsuit ensued that we stole their IP. And we were in a lawsuit for a year and a half with them over our IP. So when you're getting somebody to program technology, which way is IP flowing? But, you know, the system isn't, the legal system isn't always there to protect the innocent. Mm-hmm. So what, what transpired from there? What happened in the end? Uh, well, I will tell you that um, in the end, it you know came to we had said from our side we're going to we're going to drag this on as long as we need to because we need our IP to have a company so we're not letting loose and cutting loose and you know in the legal world a lot of time it's a waiting game to see who runs out of money right mm. and we had solid income and I made sure that we could cover the legal expenses so we were going to go in for the long game because it was our IP mm. and so we ended up you know settlement type situation but there was no gag order or confidentiality which is why i can talk about it <laughs> yes it's the small victories right <laughs> yes <laughs> oh that's classic so um so when you think back about that experience what is the lesson that you take with you forward today you know there's two lessons there the first one is that I shouldn't have trusted a new employee, even if they were an officer under me, for selecting this vendor without doing my own due diligence. Because had I actually done more due diligence, there would have been red flags that would have prevented me from going forward. In fact, I had to fight for a contract very early. And I said, I'm not issuing another payment until I have a contract. So that in itself should have been a red flag. The second thing is, is, is the length of the lawsuit. And, you know, I had one person who was working for me and, and you know, they drag you in personally in these lawsuits too, and, and, you know, whatever, management problems or fraud or whatever they can do. Because if you get a fraud charge against a banker, I can no longer be a banker. So, you know, these things get thrown in this leverage. And, you know, this other person who was also a manager just got really bitter and angry and dwelled on that and dwelled on that and and it takes your eye off business so you you don't want to get entangled in anything personally even if they're attacking you personally and i think that was that thing went on for a year and a half and if i had taken my eye off the business and not grown the business you know success is its best revenge and so i just kept focusing on that yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting that, isn't it? I think there's oftentimes when we when you run into legal disputes of whatever nature, there's obviously the financial uh, cost to, along with that, but it's also like the mental tax of it. It's like shit. I got to go in with this thing for a year and a half, and I got to you know do all, deal with the lawyers and documents and time and time and time. And am I going to win it? Am I not? And so there's this massive like and well. There's the quantifiable cost, right? But then there's all the other stuff that also costs you uh, as a CEO yes. when you enter into these unfortunate situations. Yeah, that's. I, I would agree. The stress of carrying that, but you know, 
literally, I think you just have to go into denial. We grew the business. So that's when we really went national. During that time, I remember I, I, I said, okay, I'm already in trouble here. I'm just going to push it and show them we're going to succeed with or without their software. And we're going to build our own software, which really turned out to be a good situation for us in the long run. So just kept my eye on the business and ignored the noise. Mm. So your breakdown became your breakthrough in the end. It did. Mm -hmm. It did. We, um, you know, consequently, um, we decided we weren't going to trust any more third parties to program for us, obviously. So we just took it in-house and started programming our own IP. And we programmed it bottom up from the bank's perspective and didn't have to teach anybody else our business. Yeah, was our IP out there? Yeah, but they didn't know what we knew. And we knew the business inside out. We had banked the business inside out. So, yeah, now I can say that the cannabis banking software, BSA platform, we actually put together was focused from a banker perspective versus a technology perspective. And now we have a really good product that resulted out of that. And it's proprietary. We own all of it. Mm, mm, yeah, absolutely. And that, that I suppose that's the silver lining, right, in the story. Yeah. yeah. one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Sundi, um, if you could go back in time and, and kind of do things differently as it relates to the story, what would you do differently and why? The officer that I had hired at that time, had I done a thorough background search, I would have seen such big red flags that I wouldn't have hired them. So I, you know, I was enthralled with charm and experience and and talk and and that unfortunately got in my way of being um thorough on a background check so i think you know i have really learned that you've got to know the officers you hire you've really got to do that background check and they don't have to be nice and charming <laughs> you know <laughs> you know red flag you're too charming uh, coming in my door i know that's terrible and, and and then the second thing is you know never throw a project that's going to be you know over a million dollars into a new employee's hand or an officer's hand without doing your own due diligence and and, and start to recognize those red flags and while i did recognize those red flags i didn't trust my gut instinct mm. so i would trust myself more mm. Yeah, I found like that that instinct, that gut, right? It's actually a form of intelligence. I genuinely believe that because it's this thing that's the whisper, right? I think Oprah Winfrey calls it the whispers. It's like it's this nagging voice in your head that goes, I just don't like this guy. Something about him or I don't like this deal. Something stinks about it or I really like this guy. This I think this is going to be a win. You know, like it's that sense that you get. Um, have you Have you – found that to be the same thing where it is a form of intelligence your your intuition absolutely and you know in fact when i put this program together in 2015 there was no real clear guidelines or um, regulations surrounding how to do it and so it was purely i i said to my board i'm just going to go with my gut instinct and my 30 plus years of financial services and and make it up and literally i had to do it i remember saying to the staff that was working with me i'm just going with my gut just going with my gut and we're going to do it so it is actually um pulling everything you know from the environment and what you've experienced and actually making it actionable or um, you know, to the downright down to the procedures and policies on which you operate. So mm -hmm. I really try to train 
the employees behind me and mentor them that your gut is one of the best things you have when you're trying to pinpoint fraud or bad players. And remember, we're dealing with a market that has a black market out there. So they're dealing with money coming in all the time from cannabis. And I said, you will know, you study these businesses, the money, the owners, you will know when something doesn't look right. Trust it. Mm-hmm. So, Cindy, what's your advice to other CEOs or entrepreneurs in terms of the importance of failure in business success? Um, hire well, first of all. Do your homework. Do your due diligence. And and when you're in an emerging market like with cannabis, don't trust everything you see out there because, you know, in an emerging market like cannabis – some of the worst come out to play and some of the best come out to play. So, you know, even if the market is tight and the options of hiring are tight, you've you got to wait for it. You've got to wait for the right person and, 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 and sort them out and be very cautious that way and, and utilize a little bit of that gut instinct with people as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, are there any books or tools or resources, podcasts or anything like that you recommend other CEOs to use on their journey? You know, I have to say that I knew you were going to ask this question. <laughs> and some of the best information, I mean, I, I know early in my career, we didn't have Google. We didn't have the, even have the Internet at this point in time. But, you know, anytime I get into anything I'm doing at this point in time, Google brings up everything you know, you need to know about a subject and you can listen to 10 different podcasts just like this and, and learn from 10 different perspectives. So I have to say that that is my go-to, listening to lots of different perspectives, a lot of podcasts, making sure I understand whatever I'm doing from whatever angle other people are saying you need to look at it. Mm-hmm. Well, Cindy, uh, it's been a real privilege getting to know you and super exciting to see where you guys are going to go as a team and as a business uh, especially under your leadership, it sounds like. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go to war with you. <laughs> Hard knocks. <laughs> uh, but uh, but thank you for being vulnerable. I know it's not easy being you know vulnerable in general, but especially on a platform like mine. So I appreciate you for doing that. Sex courage, and and that's uh, I'm sure going to be a huge contributor to your success in the future. So thank you for being here, and uh, yeah, wishing you all the best for the future. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank you.